Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Jordan Canellas with you here on SEN tonight, filling in for Sam Hargraves. Good to be in your company this evening. If you'd like to send us a text, you can do that. Thanks to Temper, 0433981116. The talkback line is always open, 1300 736 736. One of uh, my favourite sporting events annually every year is the Tour de France. This year was the 109th edition of the Tour. Started in Denmark, obviously finished in France, the Champs-Élysées, the ceremonial stage 21. And this year it was won by Dane Jonas Vingegaard to win his first Tour de France and the first for his team, Team Jumbo-Visma. One of Australia's uh, most experienced journalists around road cycling and professional cycling is Rob Arnold. He's from Ride Media. He's covered over 20 Tour de France's in France this year in Australia, however, but he's with us here on SEN to chat about the Tour de France, which came to its end on Monday morning. Rob, it's good to have you on the program again. Good to speak to you. How's things? Things are good when I'm talking about cycling. I'm always happy doing that. Absolutely. Uh, did you enjoy the Tour de France? Just from a general overview, how, how was it for you? Uh, given that I wasn't working at the Tour, which I've done many times in the past, I found it totally enjoyable. It was entertainment for me rather than a job. And, um, I, and if there was one race to watch uh, as, a, um, as an other fan, I would say this would have been the one. Everything about it was entertaining. You know, there was... Very rarely a dull moment, to be frank. It was, um, you know, three weeks of full gas action and um, a couple of superstars really standing out. But uh, I think everyone who made it to Paris could uh, pat themselves on the back, even uh, Caleb Ewan, who finished dead set last, well over five hours behind the winner. But, um, you know, I think just getting to through that uh, hectic terrain at that pace, which was over 42 kilometres an hour average for let's say three and a half thousand kilometers i don't know i can't remember the exact kilometer count but it was pretty impressive um and 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 also just the way that the riders raced it was thoroughly entertaining Jonas vingegaard the winner of the tour de france uh, from denmark he rides for team jumbo visma uh he is going to be the, the main story obviously as the winner it will be most years but at an overview uh from the from the three weeks what would be the preeminent story that came from this year's tour uh, definitely uh, Jonas Vingegaard's uh, uh, rivalry with uh, the defending champion, two-time champion Tadej Pogacar. That was a high, absolute standout highlight because I guess um, as someone who's followed cycling for a long time, the, the, the hope is that you see a close contest, a, a tight uh, battle between a couple of riders where it's not just domination by one. And although the time gaps at the end on the score sheet show that Jonas was in fact the dominant rider. There was only four or five bad kilometres that really taxed uh, Tade and, and knocked him out of contention for the win. Beyond those two, there's another absolute standout, and that's Walt Van Aert, uh, who's a teammate of the winner. 
and the winner of the green jersey and winner of three stages and an absolute beast of a bike rider who stands over six foot tall, looks probably a bit more like an AFL player than a cyclist in, in typical uh, Grand Tour terms. And uh, the, the way that he went about his business was not just successful and um, and uh, and also giving his services to another rider, but he he did it in with such brute force that it was just like, you know, I was gobsmacked watching a lot of what he did. Jonas Vingegaard is 25 years old, finished second at the Tour last year, so we knew he could go through the 21 stages that you have to at a Grand Tour. But um, but really, from from prior to 2021, we hadn't really, well, he hadn't really been a uh, at least to the to the um, to the pro circuit, hadn't been too much of a standout name. It was really 2021 when he burst out, and then this year he's had a great year, uh, obviously, mm-hmm. which has uh, has culminated in his winner in his win at the uh, at the Tour de France. Why was it able to happen so soon for? Uh, for Jonas Vingegaard, how has this has this uh, meteoric rise happened so quickly? It's a good question, and I don't have the absolute answer other than to say that he's clearly got uh, an enormous uh, natural gift, and uh, I, I suppose that this, this dominant team, this Jumbo Visma team, uh, which uh, has definitely uh, risen up the ranks in recent years and become the dominant player of, of pro road cycling. Uh, have been able to eke out the best of the Dane. Um, up until last year, as you pointed out, he wasn't really in the headlines. He wasn't considered much of a, um, a favourite for any race that he contested. But uh, when when the transformation came, it came rapidly. And he turned himself into not just the most uh, amazing climber I've seen in years, but uh, someone who, who doesn't, who can go up mountains fast, but also doesn't lose time uh, on the flats or on, in time trials. So... It's a complete package now, and exactly what Jumbo Visma did to transform him from, uh, you know, the, uh, the block of granite and, and into the to the incredible specimen that he is. I don't know, but um, they've certainly turned uh, around a, someone with a decent reputation and turned him into something amazing and a standout rider of his generation. As you said, Jumbo Visma, a powerhouse team. They're from the Netherlands uh, in the in the cycling circuit. Uh, they've got big names, obviously, like Vingegaard now. Wout van Aert, who you mentioned before. Australia's own Rowan Dennis, who's a, a time trial mm-hmm. specialist. Uh, but it hasn't been all that easy for Team Jumbo-Visma because despite the big names they've had over the last couple of years, this is their first Tour de France victory. They've come close before. So how significant mm-hmm. is this victory for Jumbo-Visma? Oh, it's huge on so many levels. I could go really long with the answer on this, uh, Jordan, so be warned. But um, <laughs> just to give a quick sort of overview of of the history of this team. It was established in 1996, uh, what was Rabobank at the time, and that was the title sponsor. Uh, Rabobank uh, stayed with the team through thick and thin over um, many years, and then after a 20-year association and, um, and on, on, uh, on the cusp of winning the Tour in 2007, it got rocked by a scandal where Michael Rasmussen was uh, another Dane riding for the Dutch team. And he was on the edge of, uh, basically, on the cusp of winning the Tour de France in 2007. And then uh, a couple of things came to light uh, that he'd uh, he'd lied about his whereabouts, and uh, effectively the team booted him out of the Tour after stage uh, 17, despite him wearing the yellow jersey as the race leader. So that was as close as they've come uh, in, in from the the beginning of their their time as a as a, as a pro cycling team. 
to winning the Tour de France. Then in 2020, they came second again with Primoz Roglic, but uh, it looked like the Slovenian who came second to Tadej Pogacar in 2020 was going to win until a, what was well, pretty much a, a surprising collapse in the final or the penultimate stage, the final time trial, uh, an uphill battle to La Planche de Belfield. But um, uh, I don't know if I've answered that question, but basically the, 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 the win in the Tour is enormous for them. Um, Primoz Roglic, who I've just referenced, has won the Vuelta España, the Tour of Spain, another one, one of the three three-week races on the calendar. He's won that three times. So um, it's not like they're just sort of uh, cruising around only aiming for the Tour de France. They are a very complete team. They've got a roster packed with talent. And they're certainly uh, setting the standard in how to prepare for the biggest races of all. I failed to mention Primoz Roglic when I was reading out a couple of those names before. Does that mean that after this win, does it almost feel like Jonas Vingegaard has, has overtaken uh, Primoz Roglic as the main man at Jumbo Visma? I think that's a fair comment. Uh, not to say that Roglic has washed up or anything, but he is uh, in his uh, mid-30s, 35 from memory. I'm not looking at any stats. And... Um, uh, whereas Vingegaard's 25, and uh, you know, in, in in the traditional sense of a GC rider, it was around late 20s to early 30s where they peak and they reach their prime years. So uh, Vingegaard's got a lot ahead of him. Uh, Roglic is looking in the rearview mirror a little bit, and um, it's only in the last couple of years, uh, pretty much since 2019, when Egan Bernal won the Tour as a 22-year-old. Mm. Um, that we've seen this young generation of riders come to the fore. So uh, it's certainly a changing landscape for the, uh, the pro peloton. It, there's new stars coming on the scene. Uh, I've just talked about Egan Bernal, who's the Columbia, first Colombian to win the Tour de France. That was in 2019. Um, and then since that, there's been Tadej Pogacar twice and then uh, Janusz Vingegaard, and they're all a lot younger than is the traditional Tour champion. So... Um, I've gone off on a tangent there. I'm sorry about that, Jordan. I don't know if I've, I've, I've hit you with the right answer <laughs> with regard to the Roglic versus uh, Vingegaard thing. But I would say that they will continue to nurture the, the Roglic train. But when it comes to Tour de France, um, I think that they might prioritise Vingegaard. Mm-hmm. But having said that, um, the only reason that the Roglic train was derailed this year was because of another unfortunate crash, subsequent injuries, and I think also that he might be targeting a fourth win in the Vuelta. So he um, left the, the tour a little bit earlier than anticipated, but he cited injuries and the, the need to protect his health. So um, we'll see what comes of the rest of the season. The Vuelta's on in September. And then late in September, we hope to see all of them turn up in Wollongong for the World Championships, yes. which are, are going to be fantastic. Uh, and it's, it's actually less than two months now until the world's come to Wollongong. Absolutely. Well, that's painted uh, the picture very well because that was going to be one of my next questions about the young generation. So it feels like the last decade or so of Tour de France cycling, we've seen um, we've seen groundbreaking moments. So when Chris Froome was winning his multiple Tour de France's, it felt like we were watching a modern legend create his legacy by collecting multiple yellow jerseys. When Egan Bernal won, mm. he was the youngest at the time, and then usurped a year later by Tadej Pogacar, who then won two in a row, and it was feeling like, oh, okay, this is this is extraordinary what Pogacar is able to do. We're seeing the best young cyclist and, and a world beater at the age of 22, 23, when he was winning those Tour mm. de France's. Uh, they all had they all had a, a heavy 
heavy level of uh, gravity to those wins. Does Vingegaard's victory have that same level of gravity to what we were seeing in, in the last couple of years? I'd say it's even lifted it a notch because the way they raced this year, I mean, I'd referenced the average speed when we first started speaking and it's over 42 kilometres an hour this year for the three weeks. So that's the fastest ever. Um, and, and I just sort of would like to um, come back to that point and that is because of the way that it was raced. It's not... Um, we shouldn't be suspicious based on the average speed alone. We're usually in the Tour de France, there's a relatively tranquil beginning to the stage not all of the times, but often. Mm-hmm. Whereas this year, it was, you know, as soon as the flag dropped from the lead car, it was, it was game on every single day, and they raced so frantically all of the time, which is why the, the average is sort of elevated this year. Um, for Vingegaard to beat Pogacar, I still think it's a remarkable achievement because, in my estimation, I think Pogacar's the most complete rider I've ever seen. Um, but whenever he attacked, and he did many times after he he lost, he had his little crisis um, in in the Alps, and lost the time to Vingegaard. He tried everything he could to usurp the the, the, the Dane, but um, uh, his attacks were brutal and forceful enough to get rid of every other rider except for Vingegaard, who seemed to be able to respond while barely even breathing. It was yeah, I. I was very impressed with both of those two. But even though Pogacar was second, I would put him up as the better of the two all-round bike riders, if that makes sense. I can justify it. Rob Arnold with us here on SEN. He's from Ride Media. He's uh, one of Australia's uh, most seasoned Tour de France and cycling uh, journalists. How affected was Tadej Pogacar uh, by the absence of his teammates, who were dropping by fly, like flies over the three weeks, I think he was down to four teammates maybe by the end of the tour. How how much would that have affected his chances? Hugely, enormously. I mean, even for me, I mean, not being flippant, but just having the the good morale that George Bennett brings to the team. Um, he's a, a Kiwi bike rider who Team UAE Emirates, uh, which is probably Charles' team, they recruited him at the end of last year. Uh, George had to go home. He was one of many COVID casualties. And uh, without his presence, there was not only the lack of firepower when it came to responding to, the, to let's say, the taunts that came from Yumbo Visma, but also um, then it just, uh, I guess, with every fallen teammate and, uh, and UAE ended up rolling into Paris with only four out of eight, um, it just meant that there was a, a blow to the morale because um, it also... Uh, would have been like um, a, uh, a, a, a temptation too good to resist where, for Yumbo Visma when they saw that it was a weakened um, uh, team around Pogacar. They knew that they could hit him with tactics that they ended up succeeding with. Whereas had he had all of his teammates, uh, then I think that um, it would have been a, a much closer battle. Uh, Raphael Marker, for example, he... Uh, uh, broke a chain and slapped his leg on the top of his uh, bike at the end of a stage after doing an incredible turn of pace, setting up Pogacar for the finish. And he had to go home because of that injury. So um, up until that point, the, the Polish uh, domestique or super domestique, was, who's won the King of the Mountains crown at the Tour twice, he was um, the, the right-hand man for Pogacar. And when he's not there, then he's isolated, and it just really had to go down to an individual against the team. And mm. even though Yumba Visma also lost a couple of riders, 
they had a more complete uh, uh, roster all the way through to Paris. Rob, to finish off, let's have a quick chat about the Aussies and uh, and what we saw from some of our Australians. It wasn't as uh, a profitable a Tour de France as we've had in the last couple of years with the likes of Ben O'Connor reaching the and Richie Port the year before reaching uh, the podium or near the podium. Um, but we still had uh, Michael Matthews finish top 10 in the green jersey. We had uh, young Michael Storer finish sixth overall for the young classification, the white jersey, and uh, Dylan Gronewegen as well, one of the new signings this year to Team Bike Exchange. Jaco was up there and around the mark for the uh, for the sprint classification too. So from an Aussie perspective individually and for the uh, Bike Exchange Jaco Australian team, uh, what, would, what would Australians be walking away feeling... Uh, like how their um, their representatives performed at this year's tour. It's a question again. I could go really long on the answer to this one because Australian cycling has got so much going for it at the moment. And I uh, I published the official Tour de France guide and I put two Aussies on the cover with alongside the Tadej Pogacar, and that was Jack Haig and Ben O'Connor. Jack Haig finished third in the Vuelta, which I've talked about before, the Spanish Grand Tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, and Ben O'Connor was fourth in the Tour de France and won a stage last year. So, and that was his debut in the race. So, by um, just on those facts alone, I believe that they were genuine GC contenders. How they would have fared in what became the crossfire between Vingegaard and Pogacar, I, I'm uncertain. I don't think they'd be quite at that level. But I think that the podium was certainly within reach for both of them, given that Garen Thomas finished third overall and he was over eight minutes behind uh, Lingergaard on on the overall rankings. Um, I think that it was a great shame that both of those two, Jack Haig and Ben O'Connor, suffered misfortune in the first week and they were were gone more or less before the real race began. That was a huge upset because... When uh, there's an Australian in contention for GC, the general classification, the yellow jersey, um, then it's much more exciting. It uh, becomes a race that uh, that lures in Aussie fans, and I think it it's makes it more captivating for it to be a little bit parochial. I like cycling no matter who's racing in it, but I think it's much more fun to cheer on the Aussies. So missing those two, it's a great shame. Mm. But then we can move forward and then uh, and, and then look. To, uh, to highlight moments, which was Simon Clark's brilliant win in stage six when he, he, he was basically done and dusted. He was kaput, finished. He'd worked really hard to be in a, in a long breakaway that day over a rough uh, parlay road sort of made famous by a race called Paris-Roubaix, a one-day classic in April. Um, it's cobbled stones. It's not Simon Clark's preferred terrain. Simon Clark has, uh, is more of a, a mountain climber than a, than a cobbled specialist, but he rode the race of his life that day. He's been the king of the mountains in the Vuelta in the past, back in 2012. Ten years later, he's stage winner of the Tour on his own. In 2013, he was part of the what was Orica Green Edge at the time, and they won the team time trial in me. So he has won a stage before. But to see him cross the line uh, in Arenberg as winner of stage six, six gave me goosebumps, and even now, talking about it weeks after the fact, uh, it's a highlight of the sporting year for me. Um, bravo to Simon and then um, I really have, I could go very very long with my answer for Michael Matthews and his win at Mond in stage 14 from memory but um, it was a display of class like I expected I wrote a column after his victory saying that um, my family asked 
whenever there's a big bike race on who's going to win, and I always say Michael Matthews. Whether it's Milan San Remo or a stage of the Tour de France or some other big bike race, I, I nominate him as a favourite because his qualities are such that he's always in the mix. What he did uh, in Mond uh, to win stage 14 was just outstanding. He'd been in the break. He'd forced the move with about 50 kilometres or more to go. He found himself on his own. He got uh, the, the rest of the breakaway caught up with him. He got attacked on this brutally steep last climb uh, leading to the finish line. And then it looked like he'd conceded, like he'd given up, like he'd run out of puff, like he just couldn't respond. And then he just came with a second wind, which was just blew my mind. And I, like I say, I expect big things from Michael. And when he delivers, it's just wonderful. And what he did to win that stage, I think, would make uh, Australians very proud of the Tour de France uh, performance. Um, and late-night viewing uh, reward with there. Rob, it's always a pleasure having a chat to you uh, when we talked cycling, and uh, I'm hoping we'll have a chat to you again later on in the year for the Welter. But uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight to recap the Tour de France, and uh, I guess you can sleep normally now with the uh, the late-night cycling over for at least a little while. Thank you so much. Oh, no, we've got another week. There's still the Tour de France Femme of Drift, so there's oh, another bike race going on right now, and it's the women, and they're, they're, they're creating headlines. Tune in, don't give up. And to SEN and to you, Jordan, thanks very much for giving uh, a little bit of uh, uh, coverage for cycling. It's great to put my sport in the, high, in, the, in the spotlight, and I'm really grateful for the opportunity to talk about it. A pleasure as always. Uh, Rob Arnold from Ride Media with us here on SEN tonight. We'll take a break. More on the other side of this. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.